into the show. This is episode number 96 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about Disney's Robin Hood on your Oodalali, Oodalali, Golly, What a Day podcast. I'm Mandy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. Just a quick reminder for everyone at the top of the show, we have only one week left to send any audio thoughts for the 100th episode. So if you want to tell us what we got wrong, what you thought we were stupid about, what we missed, what we should have talked about, and especially what you love, obviously it's Mandy, um, don't forget to Aww. email in. The email is podcast.eloquentgushing.com, I think. Yes, yes, that, yes. that would be correct. <laughs> or speakpipe.com slash eloquentgushing. Yes. Nice. Two for two. Nice uh, send, send, send us your thoughts. We want to hear from you. We want to uh, include as many people as we can for that 100th episode. And if you are shy and don't want your voice on the show, you can send us text um, through the same email address Matthew just said, and we will read it for you. But we really want to hear all of your beautiful voices. This is blatantly an opportunity for people to write what they want me to say. Oh, and try and get me to say words like yogurt. Yes. Okay, scratch that. Everybody write stuff that Matthew has to say. <laughs> if like you want it. to just send me a list so I can say <laughs> pajamas. <laughs> and let's make sure you're nice and sick before you do it so we get that mm, smooth nice. jazz voice. <laughs> All right. Well, this week we are joined by our friend Garrett, who was very excited to talk to us about Robin Hood. Garrett, I know that you like to review cartoons. You even have an entire website devoted to it. So welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Is Robin Hood a favorite from your childhood? Is it one you came to late? Uh, it is one of uh, my childhood favorites. We kind of, When I was growing up, it was one of a number of uh, tapes we kind of uh, had in less than um, legal methods <laughs> of watching over and over again. <laughs> so we'll just say that you recorded it so, off of yeah. the... The TV, and so you had your bootleg copy that you watched over and over again. Maybe, um, not quite, <laughs> but that's close enough. So we're continuing with our uh, November Disney. Uh, Mandy, you obviously hate Disney. That's why you've never seen any of these. Oh, yes, it's just so horrible. No, <laughs> I mean it, it's the same reason as I've, I've said for all of our Disney episodes so far. I just didn't watch a lot of movies like we didn't have disney vhs's when i was growing up but i did have that full set of storybooks although i don't remember robin hood being one of those stories okay i was going to ask if you had this one i don't think so because okay. as i will tell you later on i actually didn't know what robin hood was actually about i'm actually still not sure i know what robin hood is about <laughs> to be honest <laughs> So yeah, this was entirely new to me. I mean, obviously, I had seen pictures of the Fox Robin Hood, um, but that's about it. Okay. For anyone else in the same sort of thing, Robin Hood is a 1973 movie made by Walt Disney Productions. It stars Brian Bedford as Robin Hood and Phil Harris as Baloo. Mm, I mean, Little John. <laughs> same thing. <laughs> yeah. Monica Evans and Carol Shelley appear together having played the Goose Sisters in The Aristocats. Itself was a play on their long-running roles as the Pigeon Sisters in the stage show, film, and TV series of The Odd Couple. Hmm. 
Robin Hood was fairly well received by critics. They noted the good humour and enjoyable animation as being good for the whole family, particularly younger viewers. And I also read that at the time, it was the biggest box office hit of any of the Disney animated features upon release. Okay. So it, it, it was good for its time. But it was the first one they put on uh, VHS and Beta back in the day. Day after, like, after Alice in Wonderland and Dumbo. Okay. Yeah, it was the it was the first real one because mm. that was kind, and it was like ultra expensive. That was kind of why had it on uh, less than uh, normal means, if you know what I mean. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I looked up what IMDb says this movie is about, and I think they just absolutely nailed it. It says, it is the story of the legendary outlaw portrayed with the characters as humanoid animals. I just could not stop laughing at that. It is kind of a progenitor for, like, BoJack Horseman and what a lot of animation is doing these days. Right. Yeah. Um, So, like I said, I didn't actually know what Robin Hood was about, but... This particular version of Robin Hood is about the outlaw named Robin Hood who steals from the rich to give back to the poor after treacherous Prince John takes everyone's gold for taxes while King Richard is on sabbatical. And there's a love story. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know another way to put that. What's a better word? He's fighting in the Crusades. Yes. Okay. Well, see, that wasn't actually super clear because this is... Children's story. Yeah, we down, and we I didn't read the what, history, so yeah, Christians did at that time, right? Uh, well, the movie itself, his just says, "Oh, we 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 hypnotized, we hypnotized a uh, King Richard to go on that silly old crusade." It's like they kind of mm. hand wave it, yeah. So okay, I I fluffed it up a little bit, but that's what <laughs> that's this version like <laughs> of Robin Hood is about. <laughs> So, Garrett, how are you able to watch Robin Hood now? Now, I have it on Blu-ray. I've bought it on DVD twice and now Blu-ray. I've kind of made up for my past <laughs> Oh, wow. Sins. So, you, you do actually really like this one? Uh, I like a lot of Disney movies in, partic- in general, but this one, it, it's a childhood favorite. It's just... It, it's... If you look at it directly, yeah, it's probably not the best. It's I've seen since I was a kid. I've seen the Errol Flynn Robin Hood movie, and I can say that it's as a feature film. It's not as good as the Errol Flynn one, but it's just so it's a favorite. It's just a favorite. Good, Matthew. How about you? Is it available anywhere in the UK? Uh, it wasn't at the time that I had to watch it, so I ended up uh, renting it on. Uh, Google Play. Okay. It has been available on Netflix and Hulu, but it currently is not. So it is available to rent on Amazon, though. I think, you know, Disney's just trying to get all their crap down so that they can put it on their own service. Yeah. Netflix changed a lot yesterday. I just found, like, a ton of stuff. I was like, oh, my God, look at all this stuff. Here's Monty Python. Here's all this other stuff. (laughs) Well, I don't need Monty Python on my Netflix, but... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Matthew. 
<laughs> okay, um, let's dig into this thing you said about not really knowing Robin Hood. Like, Robin Hood is a very famous story and has appeared in a lot of things and things that I know you've watched. So mm-hmm. what is your experience of Robin Hood in other stories? So Robin Hood was one of my favorite characters in Once Upon a Time. And I super rooted for him to get with Regina. So there's that. Oh, yeah, he had a son with it. It was the guy from... Oh, that the the guy who played him was a kid in a uh, show over here back when I was a child. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can remember him rocking up and being like, "Oh, hey, it's the dude from Press Gang or whatever he was in." <laughs> yeah. So, so let me set this up for you. My very first thought in my thought stock was, I thought about it, and it turns out that literally all I know about Robin Hood is that he steals from the rich to give to the poor. There's Nottingham Forest, a sheriff, and Maid Marian. <laughs> That's it. What the heck is this even about? And then, like, three thoughts later, I was like, oh, it's Sherwood Forest, not Nottingham. Where did I get Nottingham from? And then I realized that was the name of the town. (laughs) Stop making fun of my speech. At the Star Trek convention recently, they came out and Anthony Rapp and Wilson Cruz were on stage talking. And they're like, okay, we've been told we've got to say it, Birmingham. And they had to keep rolling it to try and say this word. Birmingham, if you're from Alabama. (laughs) Mississippi, it's in one of the states, I don't know. So do you remember the Star Trek Next Generation episode where they're all turned into the the Robin Hood characters by Q? I didn't, but now that you say that, I'm having a vision of Picard dressed up as Robin Hood. Because I was fully expecting you to be like, that's my only experience. <laughs> Even that did not make a dent. <laughs> no, although now I'm also remembering that one of the Peter Capaldi episodes of Doctor Who had a Robin Hood story as well. Okay. But again, all you get in these stories is you get a character in a green costume with a bow and arrow who talks about stealing from the rich to give to the poor. It's never been any deeper than that for me. Is no, because the story be? is so famous, everyone knows it. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently I don't. That's all I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, well, you've now seen it. This is not the full story of Robin Hood, but it does encompass some of the major events. Um, what did you think of Disney's Robin Hood? I did actually like it. I, I thought it was kind of different for a Disney movie. Um, it was hmm. really bizarre for it to not be a musical. And for the music that was in it okay. to be like background music, even if it had lyrics, it wasn't sung by the characters. Like the love story between um, Maid Marian and Robin Hood when they're off having their moonlight stroll after they've gotten back together. There's mm. a beautiful love song playing that was even nominated for an Oscar, but it's just background music like you would expect in a rom-com. Okay. And, and so that was a really odd experience for me. Because I expect Disney movies to just have everybody burst into song all the time, especially when you've got <laughs> wonderful woodland creatures everywhere. Am I alone in this? Is is that the biggest difference when you say it was different? Is it just the fact it wasn't a musical? I think the other part that was different was the the casting, the voices, because mm. having a full-on Shakespearean actor be Robin Hood and then mm. have his best friend friend be this <laughs> southern american or american southern 
thick voice threw me out just a little bit. Like, there was no way that I would ever believe that this was a medieval setting. Like, when we did the Jungle Book, I didn't run into that with Phil Harris's accent. I was like, okay, it's a cute talking bear in the jungle, whatever, it's fine. But then when you get this and you get such a, like, a depth of variance across all of the accents, it was weird. And it's very different than what I'm accustomed to in a Disney movie. Okay, so it was the accent that made it hard to believe the situation. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it wasn't the animals. (laughs) It wasn't that the hero was a fox. It was that he was British. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's what it was, honestly. I mean, because it's standard fare for Disney movies to be anthropomorphized animals. Like, that didn't bother me at all, even though, yeah, I don't know. Even though these were much more, like, humanoid than than what we're accustomed to. I mean, like, the animals in Snow White were very much animals. They didn't even speak. Mm. The Jungle Book, you get a little bit of both. You know, Baloo was much more humanoid, but King Louie was not, and um, Bagheera was not. But then Mm -hmm. you get this, and they all walk upright on two feet. You know, it's it's very, very different. It's like the the Mickey and Donald. It's more like Mickey and Donald and all the short characters mm. than the, the features. That's yeah. where it is because this was the fur. It, this, uh, before this, Bambi is like the only one with animals and those are realistic animals. Right. Whereas this are talking, you know, like the short shorts and yeah. it's more of a it's more like a short than it is like one of their features in tone in a lot of ways yeah well and i'm even i'm thinking about some of the more recent disney movies and, and thinking about how they portray animals and even now they don't really do this humanoid thing you know you got sven the reindeer um very much a reindeer doesn't actually talk um you've got the chameleon and rapunzel doesn't talk i'm sure there are more they're just not in my head i mean even like sebastian was a lobster who yes he talked but was still very much a lobster he didn't walk around on two legs you know yeah they were most the talking animal sidekick is an actual animal that just talks because cartoons Mm -hmm. Mm. but i did enjoy it i did it was it was adorable and it was fun just weird (laughs) <laughs> the the guys who made uh, Zootopia said that this was the, the Robin Hood film was a direct thing they wanted to go on with. like we really enjoy this kind of exactly like you say anthropomorphization of animals into humans mm-hmm. but we want to do a different story with it and a different sort of situation and that's, that's still... the one <laughs> yeah I still haven't seen Zootopia I remember I wanted to see it so badly and it just hasn't happened we started it's a podcast, good. so I had to watch everything else. Yeah, who has time for the movies? <laughs> <laughs> um. So I wonder if if my still not really understanding the full story of Robin Hood has to do with the fact that this particular version of Robin Hood is not just based on Robin Hood. Walt Disney actually wanted to tell a story of someone called Reynard the Fox from, I think, the 12th century. But he ultimately decided that it was far too violent and anti-authoritarian to be family friendly. 
Um, so Ken Anderson decided to merge it with the story of Robin Hood after Walt Disney died because he thought Robin Hood was also anti-authoritarian and problematic for children. So if you put the two together, you end up with an animated fox hero fighting against a cowardly lion who is not the legitimate ruler. And so you get kind of bits and pieces of both stories merged together. And I actually think that's kind of brilliant to be able to tell a story that you want to tell. Yeah, it's a very nice thing to to take that first idea, but apply it to something that has become even more famous in modern pop. Mm-hmm. And there, there's even a, a character of the rooster in Reynard the Fox, and that's where um, the rooster in Robin Hood came from, whose name I cannot okay. remember right now. Like, Alan Alan Adidale. Yeah, I've I've had that rooster song stuck in my head all morning, just so you know. <laughs> Have you heard the if you've ever heard the hamster dance version, oh boy. Yeah, you'll you'll definitely have it in your head. Well, I have heard it as of this morning, thanks to your notes. I had not ever seen that video before and I went and took uh-huh. a shower right after that and that's all that was in my head. Like I was singing it in the shower and um Joseph tried to counteract the earworm by singing Manamana back at me. And when you put those two things together, it's just like a head exploding earworm. That's like half my childhood right there. <laughs> yeah. I also think that Robin Hood is the most romantic cartoon ever made. Is that a girl thing? Like, am I alone in that? No, no, it's pretty darn romantic and. That's, I think that that's one of those reasons why everybody has a thing for, you know, Robin Hood in this movie because it they one of the things they really hit really well in this movie is is the romance, even though it's only like the first half of the movie. Yeah, I think um, gosh, when we started talking about Robin Hood on on Twitter, somebody responded back that this is the movie that is entirely responsible for an entire generation having a crush on a cartoon fox. And I thought that was a really weird comment until I watched the movie. Honestly, because that scene where Robin Hood uh, is disguised as the, the blind beggar and then it's revealed that it's Robin Hood and he gives the gift to Skippy of the bow and arrow. Like... That's hardcore crush right there. In that moment, mm-hmm. I said, oh, my God, I completely understand why people think that this cartoon fox is so handsome and so amazing. Well, yeah, especially if you're like me and you see it as a small child. It's he's, you're if you're like Skippy, you you just can't help. He's like a total hero from that point on. Absolutely. It's the moment that sells the film. It really is, especially juxtaposed against the sheriff who came in and took that last piece of gold from Skippy who just gotten it for his birthday. I was so angry in that moment, let me just tell you. Watching him <laughs> cry. Oh, it was so sad. Oh yeah, the animation is just perfect on Skippy. He just looks so so sad and pathetic. It's it just totally sells it because I mean, this is his birthday present and this guy he just stole it. Right. Absolutely. And this is my birthday month and so I was just thinking mm. I would be devastated if this happened to me, but then Robin Hood came in and saved the day. And it made me very happy. Yeah, the taxation is not portrayed very well in this film. 
because he does just appear to be taking everything. Right. It, it's not a percentage of. It's just if you have you've money, got money I'm we it. have it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's late stage capitalism. It's just I want it all. Yeah, I thought it was interesting, kind of how how heavy handed they were on the whole issue of the taxes, mm. because they use that word taxes so many times that I found myself wondering do children who are watching this even know what that means and if they don't are they coming out of this thinking that the bad people are just going to come take all of their stuff and then children are going to end up in jail too like it seemed like it had a fairly strong political message behind it which is also strange for a Disney movie it was kind of baffling at times yeah, could could we have had a different version where he takes some of the money but then gives back, you know, some shillings and pence because he's only taking 70% in taxes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know if they did it this way just so that Prince John would be so evil and so villainous. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, historically, he was because he did try and work against his brother and bring down his brother while he was away on the crusades and then mm-hmm. he became king when his brother died um and was not a good king so so like there is historical fact in this but i don't know in terms of what he did to to the people as to right mm. um so so the story of robin hood this gives us some of it but not all it misses out certainly the sort of um early stages and him forming the the band of merry men and meeting little john do you feel like you've seen a good amount of it now mandy do you do you understand the myth a bit more absolutely not okay literally all i know about robin hood is that he has a bow and arrow he steals from the rich to give back to the poor because he wants to be the hero and make sure people can eat full stop oh and he loves maid marian yeah, so that covers it as as a an idea, I think, but not necessarily the stages of each thing. the 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 one that's in here that I think is a really good adaptation, a really good sort of way of looking at it, is the bit about the archery contest. Mm-hmm. And and that is like it's quite a clever plan to know how prideful Robin Hood is, and to set him up to like, okay, we will know that whoever wins this is Robin Hood, and then we'll get him. Yeah. I did actually come out of that thinking that Prince John is slightly clever. Like, it's the mm. only moment where he did not appear completely stupid in the whole thing. And there's a bit of ambiguity about whether it's his plan or hisses. And I don't know whether that's just because we're sort of led to believe he takes credit for everything, even if it's not him. Mm-hmm. I, I came out of it thinking that it was his plan, not hisses, because hiss was still running around trying to find him before they even had mm, the contest. Mm. Um, and so my instinct was, wow, Prince John was actually really smart here. And that's surprising to me. But that's just how I saw it. And everybody sees things mm. differently. <laughs> I think I think you're kind of right, Mandy, because it just seemed... I mean, I didn't... I've never really caught on the it being necessarily being Hiss's idea because throughout this movie, Prince John's kind of a lot smarter than some of the other versions 
give him credit for being. He is really he he's a coward to the nth degree, but he's not dumb in this movie. I mean, he he'll definitely. I mean, except for in the opening scene right. where he just gets utterly duped. <laughs> yeah, and so do his guards. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, his guards. I the, his guards are probably the rhinos are just like it's it's real. They're of all the animals, they seem to be the the strangest and how they are. They're so single minded, and I didn't. I still watching. I watched it twice for this episode. And I'm like, why are they so? Why are they so single minded? Except for the one that's checking out. Bo- is te- checking out not Baloo, but uh, Little John. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. Mm. Yeah. Um. Well, actually, speaking of rhinos, why is there such a wide variety of animals in this movie? Like, the you know the badger and the fox and the bear and the mice—they all make sense. But then you get rhinoceroses and hippopotamuses and crocodiles and it was just weird part of it goes down to can what my research showed was that part of it was that ken anderson he wanted to play with the animal stereotypes for one thing because he wanted the sheriff to be a goat and he wanted a friar tuck to be a pig right the second the second one mm said no because of the church obviously because eh, even if he's the same character it would have they probably it might have caused some issue but and part of it's because he wanted to Anderson wanted to do something in the vein of Song of the South but the studio was already even though they're still re-releasing Song of the South back in the early 70s and would until 1986, <laughs> they, they, they knew that Song of the South was already definitely a big problem. They, I mean, when they approved this, they approved this being made in 1970. The very year before, they made a bunch of edits to Fantasia to get all those picking any characters out of out of the pastoral symphony sequence I mean so they knew that they knew that race was definitely a problem in their cartoons and Song of the South was one of the well yeah live action cartoon both but they knew that that was a problem so but I think that's why it, they just have so many anim- different animals is that they they changed the setting multiple times. It was supposed to be Deep South, now England, and just also Ken Anderson wanting to do different animals. And here's what you get, and it's kind of it, it's kind of an area where it is a bit of a hot mess. Yeah, but I mean, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. That's the the beauty of being yeah. the person who's creating this. You can do whatever you want. If you want to draw a whole bunch of animals, then you get to do it and put it in your movie. He, apparently, he and, Anderson was really upset that they changed all of these animals, like the sheriff and 
whatnot because he th- he wanted something that was original and not just oh wolf against fox and mm-hmm. so on and so forth yeah i read that too that, that yeah. he was really upset once he saw the final release but ultimately i think it still came out to be a really good movie it is very popular like surprisingly popular i'm I'm actually i'm getting tweets right now of people telling me that they love this movie and it was one of their favorites when they were a kid and the scene with skippy losing his birthday present will never not make them cry you know um somebody tweeted at me that uh, robin hood was their first ever crush you know so this movie i saw that yesterday yeah <laughs> yeah this movie and- has absolutely impacted people and it's very memorable so who have we heard from who particularly enjoyed it? So Agent Austin 9, uh, Catherine at Agent Austin 9 on Twitter. She loves it. Um, Sarah at Other Girl also loves it. She's the one who said that it would always makes her cry. We did get a question from, let me see, I wrote it down. It was from Caitlin at Inferior Qu- Caitlin. She said the most important question, did Mandy find Robin Hood attractive? Actually, Matthew, please answer also. So, Matthew, I'm going to let you answer that one first. Um, so we've got nearly 100 episodes without me having to reveal my persona, so we're not going any further. Um, <laughs> I mean, the fact that, the, the fact that like, Maid Marion looks as good as uh, Robin Hood, that helps a lot. <laughs> hey, hey, Mandy, what did you think of them? Oh, I think Robin Hood was absolutely handsome in the scene, the birthday scene. I think that's even in my notes was I can absolutely see it. He is, without a doubt, the most handsome cartoon animal I have ever seen in my life. I say that with absolutely no shame whatsoever. It is part of that, uh, like a personality goes a long way kind of thing. I think so, um, because he was doing something in that scene that that just tugged at my heartstrings so much. But they also, they knew what they were doing when they drew, when they drew it. If you look at it, like, he looks different in that scene than he did in most of the others. He's a little bit taller. His, his face is a little softer. And I was just like, wow, I can completely see this. And I think, Garrett, you saying about the, the Errol Flynn version, they're, they're definitely feeding into that and going, okay, that was a great version of this film. Let's basically steal that character or that version of the character. Yeah, I, I don't see how they couldn't. I mean, yes, I didn't see it till as an adult, but it's a giant. It's a, mm. I mean, unless the only other version besides this Disney one that resonated as much as the Errol Flynn was the Douglas Fairbanks one. And that's a silent movie, so I haven't even seen that. But <laughs> I know, I mean, it made enough, that made it, that, that was highly influ- influential enough where, uh, to affect casting and locations for the Errol Flynn version. Because I kind of fell down a rabbit hole researching okay. rabbit versions. So they all fed on each other effectively. Yes. And, okay. Yes. And, and I know that um, and some of the changes it made for the Kevin Costner Robin Hood ended up were kind of to break the cycle. Like the tights, which ended up feeding into the Mel Brooks Robin Hood Men in Tights, where one of the main jokes that was mm. in all of the trailers was... Of course, I wear tights in my movie, unlike some Robin Hoods. 
That's funny. Okay, so we talked right. a little bit um, when we did the the Jungle Book about uh, rotoscoping and what rotoscoping is and how we were going to get to a movie that heavily made use of this technique, which is essentially tracing to use old scenes again. And I discovered a, a YouTube video that talked about this that I know, Garrett, you wanted to talk about this too, because so much of this movie was reused from previous Disney films. And it's the funny thing is, though, is that Robin Hood's not the only one because this movie was directed by Willie Reitherton and he did he, pretty much every movie that he directed, every everything that he directed reuses a lot of animation which is i mean it's a co it's supposed to be cost-cutting measure it's time saving that's the story behind it and also it's as far as the disney artists are concerned they thought it was safe because it's all these these great beats that they were there because you see it, some of it's like the same things reused over and over across these movies that he's that he directed mm-hmm. yeah it was quite interesting to read that for, for a lot of them um it, it's not that it's saving particularly saving the time or saving the money that, that 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 time then costs but it is exactly about oh we know we did that really well that previous time so let's lift that again and do it really well I because on the TV le- in like TV animation, it was using stock footage and reusing backgrounds and reusing mm. reusing animation was very much a budgetary thing. Uh, it was basically why filmation was able to keep their animation keep animating almost entirely in America, whereas all the other it, right around the time this was being made, all the other studios were starting, were well on their way to moving to other countries. This, this came out the same year that Hanna-Barbera moved into Australia for their animation, opened their Australian studio. So on their way to doing Japan and Korea and what have you so mm. on a tv level it was always about money always about budgetary so i mean it dis i don't know if disney didn't have kind of like the cattle the the fanatical cataloging system that that filmation used for their stock footage or not or or what but i know that on dis on the Disney level, it didn't save them time or money, which seems kind of odd, knowing what I know about TV animation. Yeah, because they're not reusing it in terms of like having the same footage of Superman flying or something like that. This is mm-hmm. uh, where they took animation of Snow White and turned it into mm-hmm. someone else. So they're they're having to redraw and reanimate it. Um, but like, yeah, when you've started off with the rotoscoping they did for Snow White and then having such an elegant dance sequence. Yeah, I get it. Like, let's not start again. And I think they then went and did it and used, oh, I want to say Sleeping Beauty for Beauty and the Beast for some of the dancing sequences and that. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it works. Yeah, it and that was good. it. That was like one of the last times that they reused footage was the Sleeping Beauty dancing sequence in um in in Beauty and the Beast. Mm. 
because once the once the Disney Renaissance started, they they pulled back from that in a major way because this was a time when I the only two places the only two places in America that were hiring was Ralph Bakshi and Filmation. Everybody else was keeping the same amount or cutting down. I mean, if this hadn't been a success at the box office, they Disney's upper management probably would have just killed off the the animation studio in, in, in entirely and just reiss- kept reissuing the films theatrically forever and ever. It, it even with the reuse of the animation yeah. though, it is a good-looking film. It is oh, colorful yeah. and fun. Yeah, it it does it looks very good and it, I mean and it's a different color they definitely responded to how bright and colorful the Errol Flynn movie is because that's like mm. this early Technicolor. It's super, it's color all over the place. And this one is a bit more realistic on its color. It definitely looks, it looks like a 70s movie in terms of its color, even on the Blu-ray with all the cleanup and mm-hmm. everything. Yeah, it's definitely a bit muted, I think. With all of the the greens and there's a lot of green in this movie. <laughs> That's all I can think of. There's a yes, lot there of is green. in this film half set in a forest. Yes. yes. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much, Matthew. I love you, Miss Mandy. I know. I know. Um, I was gonna say like browns and what have you for because of nodding him, but yeah. Yeah, all I'm seeing in my head mm. right now is green, but apparently it's because it's a forest. <laughs> Nottingham Forest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I knew, you know, but here's the thing you should realize. Once I recognized my mistake, I could have gone back and changed my notes and not shown everybody that I got it wrong, but I didn't do that. I left my mistake in. You are very pure. That is true. <laughs> Um, no, I just knew people hot... would get a laugh out of it. So, I, I I did get a laugh out of it when I read through it for <laughs> for prep. Yes, I I'll admit. Yeah. It, it, even beyond that, how good it looks, you can see that the voice acting I think really works. Like it really does sound. Everyone has fun making this film. They're all playing a character, and it comes across really well. Yeah, it it doesn't hurt that a lot a lot of these. Most of these guys are kind of playing to type. I mean, mm. Phil Harris is Phil Harris. I mean, they are. This was his third Disney movie. There's a lot of Disney repeats here. I think the only guys looking into it who aren't playing to type is George Lindsay and and uh, Ken Curtis. They kind of play reverse characters for what they were known for, because. George Lindsay was goober on on uh, on Andy Griffith's show, and Ken That's Curtis. That's why was, he sounded so familiar. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and Ken Curtis was was Festus on Gunsmoke. Hmm, okay, which was a little what? Which yeah, side sidekick role, but st- wasn't as wasn't nutsy really. I think that having Phil Harris do Little John, who is also a bear, was a mistake. 
because I didn't feel like there was an effort at all to make Little John different from Baloo. The inflections were exactly the same. If you closed your eyes, you would not be able to tell which character was talking. I I think you're right. It's Baloo is where most of the reused animation, I mean, all they did was just draw him now with a hat and now with the little outfit i mean a lot of a lot of little john is reused and i think it seems like they said yeah we're going to use this the, this model for for the character or we one casting or character design both pretty much came the same and they are the same character but i i kind of I I'm happy they did because I saw this movie first before Jungle Book when I was a kid. So I'm more this is the one I'm kind of a little more attached to okay. than the Jungle Book. That makes sense. Yeah. And it is some of that because it's a product of its time that it had been six years since the Jungle Book was out. So like it, you know, we're watching it week on week almost. Oh, but true. when there's that that bigger time difference between them, you probably wouldn't make that decision today, where people you know have got it on streaming media or DVD or something. Well, yeah, I mean that's why if you look when you look at like the cartoon shorts, like, there's like three Bugs Bunny, Elmer, and Daffy Duck cartoons. There's three that do the whole duck season, rabbit season. Yes, they're right. variations on a theme, but because they didn't know. That it was ever going to get, they didn't know for sure if it was going to be get reissued. I mean, and Disney, they only reissued. They had a seven year. They they were kind of out front with the seven year reissue plan with their older movies, but they only did that in the forties because of World War Two and they needed money mm. bad. Garrett, and, do you just have all of the like cartoon history in your head for all cartoons ever? Uh, I have an uncomfortable amount. <laughs> I love it. I love watching you yes. on Twitter respond to things. I'm just like, wow, I wish I had this level of information in my head. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's I, I retain a lot of a lot of stuff, a disturbing amount of stuff. I was like, what watching this and thinking about the movie is like, wow, I remember I can remember at least watching my old beta copy of this movie like the last shot mm -hmm. i can rem i can re kind of remember in my mind's eye it is very weird my memory it is just specific things that i remember and especially if i read it i retain it too much well not the the useless the the seemingly the stuff that not the school stuff that that's a lot of that's gone <laughs> but but yeah this stuff oh my god it's it's committed to memory in a very scary way yeah in the context of after a world after aladdin with everything that robin williams does in that movie that was like a big oh my god why is there so many anachronisms but then you go back to this movie and it's just Everywhere, besides, because you have to figure, all the cast, half the cast is, or at least a third of the cast is people from westerns and basically 
the entire CBS's rural purge in the early 70s is like a third of the cast is like affected by that. <laughs> and you've got there's sound effects like there during the the chase at after the tournament there's at least two times where they use like tra- train engine sound effects and there's just and I mean, and the score at multiple times has the 70s guitar. Mm-hmm. It, it's, and of course, the football scene, which goes so far to use the fight songs of not one, but two major American universities. Mm-hmm. They knew it. I mean, they just, it, it's surprising. It's just surprising. And I, I wanted to know what you thought about it because of it's just so, it, it's really out, outside outsized and how much stuff out of time there is and there isn't even the conceit like and there's some in sword in the stone but it's because in that movie they pretty much say oh yeah merlin's been time tra- traveling through time because he's actually the doctor <laughs> <laughs> no seriously in in one of the uh, sylvester mccoy doctor who stories they pretty much say it that oh he was at one point merlin oh that's fantastic i love it yeah 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 as it's part of the whole cartmole master plan thing where when he was the other he was all this sort of prehistory yeah it's a long story but yeah he based you know they the sword in the stone has that but they lay it out that he does he's been time traveling or whatever before the movie, but this one is just loaded with it well before Disney movies did it because after Aladdin, it was just the floodgates opened because we got to be, we, we got to re- repeat that success with Robin Williams. But here is just, I was kind of surprised at how blatant it was. Yeah, I, I didn't really notice it. That's not the right way to say that. I, mm. I noticed it, but it didn't really impact me or make me stop and say, oh, that's weird. That's different because I'm so accustomed to shows and movies being so self-aware when they do things like that now that it just seemed normal. But I wasn't thinking about it from the perspective of 1973 because I wasn't alive yet. Um, (laughs) So I, I can imagine at that time it was probably... I think it was probably pretty great because I think it's it's really self-aware to stage um what is her name Lady Pluck Cluck whatever her name Cluck. is Cluck you know to stage that scene where she's chasing everybody as a football like play and play the fighting song from a university like that's so self-aware that it's amazing I didn't know it was a fighting song from a university because I don't do sports ball things, but a lot of people probably did know that. And that it just makes me happy when, when creators do things like that, you know, it's because they're doing this like wink, wink, not, not thing to the audience. And I always appreciate it. So what you're saying is that if they had not leaned into some of this stuff, you probably wouldn't have liked the, the movie as much. Maybe. I don't know. I I think it probably would have been, oh, I hate to say boring, but I think it might have actually been boring without some of this stuff. Because the story, 
the story as a whole is not what carries this movie because there's really not that much story there. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is definitely quite episodic. Mm. I mean, there's, other, with the exception of going from it'll be my finest performance to the jump cut to the start of the tournament, there are so many fades to black or mm-hmm. dissolves in 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 the movie that it's it, it's not surprising that it's the one of the first that went to home video and got aired on television of this so-called untouchable move Disney movies because it, it's kind of it's kind of open to that sort of thing. Mm. Okay, so shall we talk about our favorite moments? Yeah, I, I I'm interested what particularly stood out as something you liked, Mandy. I think, okay, so my very favorite thing was the birthday scene with Skippy and the, the other children. I just okay. really liked those kids to start with. They were fun. I loved the scene um, where he shoots the arrow into Prince John's castle, and he, he sneaks in to get it, and then they have that fun little time with Maid Marian and, and Lady Cluck. That was amazing. The, the birthday present <laughs> scene was amazing. Like, it was just, it was fun. I liked it. Um. I think Alan and Dale the Rooster is probably very, very close second, if only because of the song. Okay. It gets stuck in my head every time. Like, I don't know. He's weird. Like, he is, without a doubt, the strangest character in this whole movie for me, but I really like him. Yeah, because he's part narrator. He's part in it. It's like, yeah, Alan and Dale is one of the merry men in the traditional stories, Mm. but he's kind of... He's, I mean, because he's set up to be just a narrator that's kind of around, but then he helps Friar Tuck catch Hiss when he's looking around for Robin Hood during the archery tournament, and he's he's definitely around in the the whole prison sequence. So he's kind of he's in and out in terms of how separated he is from the story. Yeah, definitely. And then I also thought the movie went just a little bit deep when Little John asked, are we good guys or bad guys? Mm. And I loved it. I did. I loved it. I thought that was also a very self-aware moment. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of a, a hard uh, thing to fit well in the Robin Hood story because, yes, he was doing things that were illegal and in some ways fairly violent at times by robbing pe- robbing the rich, as mm-hmm. it were. Um, but they do manage to keep him in that Errol Flynn mold of I'm doing it because I'm good and it's just borrowing and it's all okay. He's not like, you know, sticking people up like, you have failed this city. <laughs> you know, it's not gone that dark. Yeah, he's not gonna. He's not gonna end up. Oh uh, well, you guys probably haven't seen the new season, Arrow, so I'm not gonna say nothing. Yeah, okay. no, haven't started it yet. Yeah, yeah, no, I won't say. Okay. Yeah, um, that's the one moment that's like, oh, they're, they're actually showing a bit of appreciation for what the situation is. But other than that, they they are all like, no, he's a good guy. Root for him. Yeah, <laughs> he's so handsome, just like in his posters. <laughs> his reward posters. His reward yeah. posters, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the children the children really are for movie children and especially children in cartoons, they're some of the best that 
I I can say that I've seen. A lot of times, children in in cartoons and just movies in general are just they are the most. They are so annoying. They just get on your nerves. Yeah, no, these were just cute. Yeah, yeah, mm. and they these the performances were really good. The writing was good. It works so so well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, granted, Skippy is the only one that's named on screen, which because I did look up the name. It was like the older sister is Sis, and the little baby one is is Tagalong. It's Aww. like okay, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, what not if... a, not not exactly the most original names, but certainly fitting. Well, I mean, this is from a movie that named the snake Hiss. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't really and, expect much. And they named the names. and they named the turtle friend Toby, which was totally from the tortoise and the hare cartoon that Disney did, did like three. Yeah, at that time, three decades earlier. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, I was like, I was like, yeah. Oh, that's right. They've reused it. And, you know. And, and we commented that we liked the turtle from Snow White. And it feels mm-hmm. like a very similar character here, the kid. But they're all playing <laughs> nicely together. There's no, oh, the rabbits or the hares are, are bullying him or something. They're all just yeah. friends and they're playing. Yeah, it was really cute whenever he was afraid for Skippy and he said, if Prince John catches you, he's going to cut off your head. And then he pops his head down in a shell and goes like this. <laughs> it was just cute. It's cute. So what about you, Garrett? What what are your favorite moments from this one? Uh, as I said, I grew up with it and I had it available. So there's a lot. I kind of had to try and narrow it down and it's still a pretty lo- long list. But first and foremost, I really like how Robin and Little John their friendship cuz and, and because they're just they just play off each other so well. It's they're naturally friends. There's even there's even a little nod to they even nod to the to the actual Robin Hood stories when they at the start of the film when they wait, you know, wave each other off on the on the on the little log bridge. That's that's a callback to some of the Robin stories because in in the traditional stories, Robin and little John met when Robin was trying to cross the log bridge and Little John won it and they they had a fight with quarter quarter staffs and Robin wins. So they kind of inverted it there. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And and it, it it made a lot of sense when I found out that oh well they will the plan was ultimately to May and reason why they got rid of like Will Scarlet and some of the recast Alan Adale and Fred Tuck was uh, away from the Merry Man is they wanted a buddy picture just like Butch Cassidy, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. They wanted a movie like that, which of course was relatively new. They wanted a buddy movie, and it it does it ne- it didn't surprise me, and it really does work. As a buddy movie, I'm surprised at how well it does work on that level. Yeah, I find it interesting that the film doesn't give us any sense of their day to day life. Like you say, it's very episodic, but we don't get a thing of 
and and here's where they live. Here's how they they keep themselves fed and so on. It's purely these moments. We don't go into any deeper. Uh, here's the lives of these two characters. But then, it, but then they oddly kind of hint at it. They show how they show during the love song. They show the entrance into their their little hideout. And I mean, when they find out about the tournament, they're doing laundry and Robin is burning their their dinner. I mean, you get just enough, but you don't get mm. you, you get little hints of it. But it's just. It's not the fo. It's like that's not the focus of the movie. We're just gonna, you know. Yeah, it's mo- moments of them sat in trees or yeah. sat in a forest. <laughs> and I definitely like Prince John because I mean, I- I'm surprised that all copies of this movie don't have Peter Ustinov's bite marks all over it because it's just he hams it up so much. He just <laughs> and it's so amazingly fun. I mean. And when I watched it for the last time last night, it was like at the end when he's chasing down Hiss, I'm like, they had him come in and redub all of that because because the mouth does. There's no no attempt to make the mouth movements match up, and apparently they did have have him come. Disney did have Ustinov come in and to do some redubs at the end and. They couldn't find him. They called England. They called all over the world. And it turns out that he was just a few blocks down the street at NBC. <laughs> yeah, I, I read that. That's yeah. a funny story. Yeah, yeah. It's like probably somebody was going, because since the Disney show TV show was on NBC at some time, somebody probably went to NBC to do something talk about something as they would like probably just ran into Houston off down uh, down a hallway it's like oh my god we've been looking for you all week <laughs> and also the sheriff because he's just he's so he, he's such a sleaze and a lot of it is because they hired Pat Buttram that that's his voice he's just got that that voice voice that just works perfectly yeah definitely uh, yeah and i certainly liked the the whole the the scene with marion and skippy and and certainly cluck and skippy as well just the whole ew this is gross with the kiss it's like it's such a seven-year-old it, mm. it's such a it's seven-year-old thing to be like to to be the big adventure and you're just like, but you're supposed to get get give the girl a kiss. Like, no, yuck. <laughs> it's just and definitely the archery tournament, except for because I'm a Notre Dame fan. I one of the two songs they use is USC's fight song. It's like, no, no, that that part is there. There's not very much of it. Most of it's Wisconsin's fight song, but it's like just. I can't do with the USC part, but everything about, I mean, because it's, it's, it's just, it's got everything. The action is just really good. And there's a moment with the moments with Marion and, and Robin where it's like, it's so the most romantic movie ever. And, and definitely, definitely little John with, 
Prince John. It's like, hey, PJ, and just just totally snow, just totally conning him all over the place. It's just that that scene is just one of the, that that entire part of the movie is just perfectly done. And also, of course, this and the two songs that I really really like are the Phony King. King of England because it's just so funny, especially the part where the sheriff and his are singing it, and then Prince John wa- walks in and his just loses it. <laughs> yeah, and then definitely not in Nottingham. It's just they since it's so sad. It's just it. it it's sad. It's perfectly sad, and the animation is dreary, and the colors are just—it is really perfect in how it looks. What about you, Matthew? What did you like about it? I never realized that Hamster Dance used the song from this whistle stop until some point around two thousand, early two thousands. Where after Hamster Dance had been this major, major thing, but one of the earliest memes on the internet, and suddenly I saw this film again and went, ah, it wasn't just a thing they made up. How interesting. <laughs> and it is all I can hear now when I'm watching it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all I can yeah, hear I in my head mm. at, at all today, so. <laughs> yeah, I can't. Re- I remember when that, that Hamster dam- Dance was just a like a GeoCities website with all these little mm-hmm. gif hamsters and I don't remember when I connected the that sped up song to the actual Robin Hood movie I don't but I mean now it's just you can't as soon as you the connection was made I just you can't not right hear mm. it yeah I, I think, Mandy, if you need something to get it out of your head, I can recommend all your bass. <laughs> so basically, the, the, the second meme of the internet might be the place to go. Why would you do that to me? <laughs> but no, you've absolutely, absolutely covered the things that are good about this. It is, I mean, I mean it's... It's not a great Disney, if I'm honest, but it is good fun. It is very watchable for exactly as the critic said, for the younger audience. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it works very well on that level. So you can just put it on and enjoy it. And when it's working, it's really working. When the animation is really good, it's really good. I mean, I it's they when it's on its best, it's really on its best. I was kind of surprised when I was watching watch the first time I watched it when that we first see the Prince John's procession I'm like did they use the multiplane camera for that one shot in the whole movie because it has this depth of field that mm. it has no yeah I was like that's the multiplane camera that has that depth of field and it was like out of nowhere it's like when they when they put in they really put their minds to it. They did some amazing things in this movie, but it just—you're it, right. It doesn't may it doesn't come together as into one of the 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 great classics. And I think that's ultimately why it was 
one of the first to make it to home video back in the 80s mm-hmm. because it's not perfect. There's a lot of great in it, but it's, it is definitely a flawed film. Yeah, if yes. anything was going to fail on, on VHS, yeah. this was fine. Okay, so is there anything else that we need to discuss about Robin Hood? Well, and this was the first one of the, the one of the first things you uh, brought up when you invited me on for it. We got to bring up the furry thing. We just we just have to. The it, it's an iconic movie. It, it's it, it's a iconic movie amongst the furry community. It really is. Did you were you Mandy? Were you aware of it beforehand? Did it a and did it anyway affect how how you approached this movie or how you felt about the movie going in? I knew only because Twitter told me. <laughs> and then I just didn't really think about it after that. So I, I went into oh. it, you know, to watch a Disney movie. So I didn't really, it didn't impact me at all. And even after watching yeah. it, I, I don't think it has any effect on me whatsoever. I think it makes sense. Because, I mean, we, we spent a significant amount of time talking about the humanoid aspect of these characters, which was something that wasn't really seen before. And, and so I totally get it. You know, I, I was reading an article today about, like, kind of the history of Robin Hood. And at first, I didn't realize, I mean, based on the title of the article, which I don't have right in front of me, I expected it to be about the production and the making of this movie but the entire first third of the article was about furries which was a direction <laughs> i didn't expect that article to go in but then i realized oh okay no i totally get it and and then it went on to about the more mundane things of, of the movie it was just like purely objective this is a thing that has happened in the 80s you know this group of people just latched onto this movie and it sparked a movement and you know that's fine it's cool and matthew if, yeah. if you want to keep your fursona secret we can we yes can I do do. That. we can do that <laughs> well and here's the thing because i think that it happened because it was one of the only things like that that existed mm-hmm. there was this other thing like tv special movie thing that i've bit that i've been asked about before called animal olympics that was supposed to have aired during the coverage of the 1980 olympics but we pulled out because of the boycott so they they can't nbc canceled the whole idea and that also that got a life on home video and that aired on a couple of stations including to my total horror it aired on the nbc station that i grew up watching (laughs) in vermont and here's the thing this station it during the 80s they had this person in this hideous peacock because it was nbc station so peacock they had this person for promotional events and like some of their like you know station ids they had this person in this hideous peacock costume and i'm like when i saw that when i was doing my first little bit of research i was like oh my god that person there he was an early furry and i was like at ground zero for the furry culture and i didn't even know it as a kid 
<laughs> and I was like, oh my god. Oh my god. But yeah, it's just like, it because it never, I of course the internet ruined me. I didn't get any of that. I mean, I had, if I was going, if I was going to, and I did obsess over anything on TV, I had a lot of choices. I had a lot of cartoons with hot human women and hot human guys. And same with live action. I had, it just didn't hit me on that level because there was so much that I, I, I was a TV kid and. I could, I saw a lot of stuff. I mean, what it just didn't hit me till the internet, being the corrupting force that it is, hit me, and I'm like, okay, whatever, doesn't affect my. I, I still am attached. I already was attached to it in such a way that it didn't affect it. But I was like, okay. Samantha, you've done some <laughs> reading on uh, Robin Hood since. Are you? More or less, or the same, or generally interested in watching the other big movies? I do want to watch the Kevin Costner version, but that's because I like Kevin Costner. Okay. It's it's actually a pretty decent version. I mean, it's got it's got Morgan Freeman in it, and I will admit I did see it in other movies. <laughs> it's got that Brian Adams song. That's kind of a negative, but I mean, what can you do? Yeah. Um I am tempted to watch the Mel Brooks Men in Tights. You kind of have to you do have to watch that after the Kevin Costner because like so many of the jokes are in response to the Kevin Costner because it came out like within like a year or two I think after the Kevin Costner when it hit. Mm-hmm. So it it's really a response to the Kevin Costner. Yeah, I know we've previously and talked about doing it as like maybe a double feature. Mm. That might be something we do. I don't know. I I think I'm not opposed to watching either of them. So my Robin Hood education may continue. Okay. Although I will warn you, Men in Tights. It is a it is a Mel Brooks movie. Well, I, we've done Mel Brooks on the yeah. show before. We did yeah. Rising Saddles, so yeah. I, I think yeah. I'm prepared. <laughs> I think. You think? Yeah. All right. Well, if you would like to join the conversation, you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing, or you can send us an email at podcast at eloquentgushing.com. Each of us are on Twitter. I'm at Mandy K. And I'm at Matthew Vose. Garrett, thank you so much for coming and sharing your encyclopedic knowledge of cartoons with us. <laughs> uh, where can people find you on the internet? I am. Uh... The the first place you can find me is on Twitter, like you guys, at GarrettCRW. That's G-A-R-R-E-T-T-C-R-W. That's where you can find me, and my website link is in my profile and all that sort of thing. That's That's probably the quickest way to do it. Awesome. Go check it out. Pop Culture Deprived is 100% funded by listeners like you through Patreon. Any amount you can give, even $1 a month, gives access to exclusive content and helps to support the network and develop new shows. To find out more, visit patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And if you want to keep up to date with the latest news announcements, remember to subscribe to the weekly newsletter. The link is on eloquentgushing.com. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived, where we will do our final Disney movie of November, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. 
And oh Robin, you're so brave and impetuous. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, go to eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at eloquentgushing.